Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali, and joining me today, I've got Adam Vitali. Hello. And Josh Torres. Hola. James, I assume, is sleeping in. We will loop him in if he wakes up. And Chow has a uh, some sort of class today. We might get him later. We might not. We'll see. Uh, if either of those two show up, we'll we'll introduce them and then get moving. Uh, it's been an interesting week in the world of RPGs. It's been a surprisingly news-heavy week. We've had some announcements that we weren't expecting, some announcements of announcements that I guess we can touch on and look forward to. We've had some website updates that have given us some some good looks at some upcoming games that we're all anticipating. And we've had just some new trailers for games that have already announced that kind of show some neat things that we'll want to uh, touch on. Uh, some teaser websites. It's kind of a kind of a nice uh, run of the gamut of the different sorts of things that we can talk about on this podcast. Some sales updates, some release dates. So this one will be a little bit more news focused. But uh, as always, we're going to start out with... Um, uh, games we've been playing, even though that might be a little bit of an abbreviated section for this week, uh, just for a heads up on that. So as for the game we're going to start out with, obviously, one of the major releases of last month in April was the Chrono Cross Radical Dreamers Edition uh, remaster. At the time, obviously, we introduced the uh, review that was written up on the site by Cullen Black, but we didn't have anyone on the podcast that discussed their time with the game as uh, playing the remastered edition. We had some people touch on when they played the game initially, uh, you know, back when it originally came out. But we didn't have anyone who had touched the remaster until now. So uh, to start out this podcast, I'm going to hand it over to Adam, who over the last uh, couple of weeks has been putting some time into the Chrono Cross Radical Dreamers Edition remaster who has also played the original game. And I have not played either version. Uh, I don't know if you have, Josh. The original, yeah. All righty. And so uh, we'll just kind of go uh, launch from there and just kind of see what Adam's impressions, like the replaying the game now, you know, older and wiser versus what he played when he was a young lad and what the remaster brings to the table and things like that. So we'll just start it off there. So Adam, uh, tell us about your time with the Chrono Cross, the Radical Dreamers edition remaster oh i didn't play so i never had a playstation one i jumped in on the playstation 2 era and i never played um chrono cross when it, i didn't i didn't play it when it released so i played it when it came to like ps3 and this was like 10 or 12 years ago and you know? more on that later <laughs> in a way <laughs> so uh, so you know i wasn't like a kid when i played it you know maybe 20s early 20s um but so when i played chrono cross you know, it was already a, a known quantity, and I knew it was kind of divisive. Like, some people love it, say, you know, they have to declare it's better than Chrono Trigger. Some people, you know, it's a terrible sequel or whatnot. And I'll just say it didn't really, like, grab my attention. It didn't really leave any sort of impact on me. I have no attachment to it. Um, I don't hate the game, not at all. But I just, it wasn't, like, the type of RPG that I really, really enjoy, uh, you know, so I didn't have any strong feelings on it. So, but the thing is with Chrono Cross is that its story and its like kind of structure and how it tells its narrative is a little bit awkward and weird. And uh, 
it it is a, especially near the end of the game it kind of gets a little bit hard to wrap your head around like what's going on and what's happening there's some time travel alternate world sorts of deal so when the remaster released i felt this was just a good opportunity to reacquaint myself with the game and also just to kind of it's definitely the type of game that i think benefits from a second playthrough just to kind of like put it together like oh okay i see what's doing and what's happening like i'm talking about narrative so just here. just to double check you played the uh, original when it came to the ps3 on the PS3. Yeah, like the and digital now you're playing PS3 version, right? And now you're playing the the remaster on PC. Yeah. Okay. So, um the remaster like the probably the worst part of the remaster is its performance. It's, you know, if you wanted to play Chrono Cross with like a rock solid 30 FPS, this isn't really that. Uh it's, you know, Chrono Cross never performed like great you know on even on the original version is not like it was a powerhouse in terms of frame rate or whatnot but it, it kind of always just sort of ran like that um so it's if one, you're one hoping the things them, you would have assumed or at least hoped for the remaster to address yeah so it, the it, it's still like there's still some slowdown in battles like when you know tacks are loading or element skills or whatnot and uh things like that so you know it's not really any worse than it was before or anything like that it's just kind of it's in that, in that sense it's a little bit more of a I don't want to, I don't, a little bit more of a straight port. I know it's not a straight port and that might be, you know, undervaluing the work that had to go in, but it's just like, it's not a rock solid, like 60 FPS or anything, you know. Yeah. It's just one of those, it's like you see other, uh, like projects of older games out there and re-releases and it's, it's hard not to compare this to other similar projects. Um, so assuming, let's say I didn't listen to the podcast episode when we talked about the review going up. And I don't really know much about Chrono Cross other than that it was a PS1 RPG. Like, can you just kind of like set the baseline? Yeah, sure. Like what we're looking at here. So it is a sequel to Chrono Trigger, but it's it's a very awkward sort of sequel, or maybe I should say a very unusual sort of sequel where it's not it doesn't follow the same characters, and it's uh, it to be honest, it takes a long time before you even realize if it's in the same world or not. Uh, it's a very loose sort of sequel, and it's I think it's kind of best to go in just maybe knowing it's a sequel to Chrono Trigger, but just sort of assume it's a standalone, it's its own thing. And I think that's probably one reason why it has the reputation it does is that, you know, expectations and reality didn't quite mesh there. So going into the game, you open up, you're in a beachside town where you where you uh, play as Surge, who's the main character. And uh, you, I don't know what, what I should spoil for a, you know, a, 20 year old game or whatever it if is it sh- if it shows up in the first two or three hours i would call that premise okay so this is more of a premise thing here is that you learn early on that there are actually two worlds there's home world and another world and the split between these two worlds seem to have taken place 10 years ago and in one of those worlds the main character surge is alive and in one of those worlds he's dead uh and then you're basically trying to figure out why are there two worlds what exactly happened 10 years ago what's going on and early on in the game, Surge is attacked by dragoons. And then at that point, Kid shows up to save him. Kid is the other main character, the girl with the red top uh, and ponytail. And then you basically go from there to you know figure out why am I being attacked, what's going on. And then it takes a lot of turns and uh, you know progresses from there. And the, probably the most defining part of Chrono Cross is that you don't get a set, you know, six, seven, eight person party that you, you know, like in most RPGs of this type, you, there are, I actually had to look this up earlier today. There are 45 characters that you can play as in this game. 
and um, you can't get all of them in a single playthrough because there are moments where you have to make decisions in terms of like picking one character over another, sort of old old Star Ocean style. Um, and there are other moments in the game where you make decisions based on like what you do. And that can also affect which characters join you. And some of the characters, you know, get a decent little like side story or backstory. But there are other characters that are literally like there's one character that he's hungry and he's like, I want some food. You give him a mushroom. He eats the mushroom. He likes it a lot. But the mushroom was a magic mushroom, turns him into a mushroom man. And then he's like, well, I'll join you. And that's it. And his I don't think it's fun guy. Just yeah, his name is fun guy. So I'll put on uh, good localization. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and then I, I doubt he says anything the rest of the game. Actually, the characters do kind of like chime in at, at points um, during certain scenes and whatnot, just depending on who's in your party. So, but otherwise, you could bench him the rest of the game. It, if you it, almost, require, it almost reminds me of like GBA era Fire Emblem, where you have like five characters that participate in the story and the rest you recruit during their level and they don't really say much the rest of the game. Or, or um, some people have compared it to some like saga games. Uh, Minstrel Strong or Scarlet Grace even uh, where you might recruit a character and there are way more characters you can recruit than you can actually use so sometimes you just they kind of join your team and sit on the bench uh, Last Remnant is of course is a saga game in all but name and that's similar as well so it kind of has that feel where you just kind of pick your party you're working with uh, I, I haven't beaten the remaster yet I maybe let's just say roughly halfway through and I'm playing with a couple of characters that I kind of forgot about. There's a old gnome woman who can transform into monsters. At first, when I was using her, I'm like, man, she's kind of weak. I don't know if I want to use her. But then I realized, oh, wait, some of the monsters she can transform into are actually some of the strongest units I have, I think. So, like, that's pretty cool. Uh, I have a little, I have a rabbit girl who attacks people with a giant carrot. I don't know really what else she can do other than attack people with a giant carrot. But um, it's pretty fun. So are there any characters just, that you're using both times just because they're too good not to use? Uh, the characters that a lot of people like to use, besides like Kid, who's like a main character, but you don't have to use her. There's a character named Glenn, who is a kind of like a Dragoon Knight. Uh, he's very similar to Frog in Chrono Trigger, only human. So people like Glenn. Uh, Glenn has a girlfriend named Riddell, I think, and she's like a mage and she's pretty good. A lot of people like Lena. Lena is sort of like Surge's childhood friend. But so those are all humanoid characters. I have a feeling a lot of people like the humanoid characters because that's, you know, similar to what you'd expect from an RPG. But, you know, there's a lot of like creatures and monsters and things like that, too. Starkey. You, yeah, you, yeah. You, there's a Starkey is Starkey the alien or the dragon? Alien. He's the alien. And then you also get like a little pet dragon. Um and you get a little uh there's a there's like a what is he he's like a straw man <laughs> oh yeah yeah like a bundle yeah. of straw is uh as a man other uh, fan favorites are like lynx and harley yeah lynx and harley they're also main characters yeah lynx is the cat thing and harley is a jester kind of like harlequin jester thing so but yeah that's you know some people just really don't jive with that sort of you know you have a pool of characters you just pick who you want most of them aren't like story relevant and that's just kind of honest, i kind of wish we had like more modern rpgs that kind of take that approach of like you just have like a, a, a like a good chunk of like playable characters not and because of that like the sheer size of it of, of course the, the story won't like delve into each and every everyone's backstory they're just more of like kind of like functions to be used in battle. yeah they're more like units than characters sometimes yeah. just um 
And, you know, they might have like a baseline, like cool vibe or quirk or whatnot, but not, they're not really like a fleshed out character and they don't have to be really, but that, you know, that just kind of has to set your expectations it, it, that way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more relegated to like strategy RPGs now, more so than like turn-based uh, yeah. RPGs. So like triangle strategy, for example, uh, is very similar in that. Right. That you get a bunch of characters and you might just like, Hey, I like how this character, you know, looks and maybe they're like baseline personality and they may not be like by definition a well-written character but they might just be fun and have a cool design or do a cool thing in battle or whatnot and you know you want to use them in terms of the remaster itself i will say like honestly i know some i've seen some people claim that this remaster is just worse than the original and i don't know about that well remember that this uh, this remaster also got like patches to like fix up its performance so you know All right. the, the, the launch version was you know worse than PS1 performance like i remember the digital foundry like did, did an analysis and there were definitely yeah. some parts that ran worse it's a $20 remaster which was actually kind of surprising to me that it was you know it's less expensive than legend of mana than saga frontier which, which you was know, i feel like by the way yeah the saga frontier remaster we gave it our remaster of the year last year in our awards because that, you know, many, many changes that were great, uh, no performance issues there, and it was, you know, just, there was nothing, it was an absolutely great remaster. Uh, but I was just sort of surprised that Chrono Cross, which seems to be, like, the most high, like, not high value, but, you know, the most prominent of, of these couple of remasters, got, like, the kind of the cheapest remaster, the lowest, lowest cost, kind of lowest effort, which is sort of weird. It's uh, weird that like th- this one like got this treatment, but then Live Alive t- t- two thumbs up so far. Yeah, we're more on that later too. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the parts about this remaster that I really appreciate, just kind of as a replay, it does have like a turbo mode where you toggle it on and you're running around like crazy speeds. Battles are sped up a little bit. Some of the loading screens are still the same, of course. Can't speed those up, but you know that's just kind of a nice quality of life thing where. Uh, you can kind of play through the game a little bit faster. You can turn on a toggle where you don't run into the encounters, which is also pretty nice. Are you playing with which the that, uh, new art and font or the old? Yeah, I'm playing with the new art and, and font. Like, I've already played the original game. So I've already played the classic version. It's like, well, let me just try the new version. And I think the, the character portraits, I think they're pretty good. I have no complaints. They're actually, like, redrawn rather than, you know, just, like, I know, like, Grandia. It's Newport just sort of smear it smear the original art yeah Yeah, so it's like yeah but uh so i kind of the way that this game this game's leveling system works i don't know i don't know i don't know how much into the weeds i want to get but you don't level up kind of typically in this game this is actually where it is a little bit more saga as well is that you get stat ups from fighting battles and then like every time you fight a boss you get a you get like a rank up star and if this doesn't make sense that's fine uh, and so, like you, your 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 character basically gets stronger as you like proceed through the story, and not necessarily by grinding. In a nutshell, what I mean is you can't really grind in this game. So that actually turns like that makes this toggle function that the remaster has actually like somewhat useful because you can fight a few battles, and if you're not gaining any stat ups, like my, there's no reason for me to fight battles here other than to literally waste time or to get drops maybe. So you can just turn off toggles for a bit, or turn off t- turn on the toggle to turn off encounters and just kind of proceed to the next rank up if that makes sense i know i kind of blitzed through that but it's just like the leveling system how it works it actually works pretty well in conjunction with the toggle switch oh, for encounters yeah. i mean so, we've seen in rpgs a few ways that things are implemented so you can't just grind i'm thinking um like, lost odyssey lost odyssey just has literally like a hard cap where very quickly mm-hmm. if you're like a level or two above the enemies you just won't get any exp i was also thinking like a western rpg like vampire the masquerade bloodlines 
where you only get exp from quests quests and not yep. from battles uh so it's kind of cool to see uh and i think that's just kind of smart in general as just as, as in principle where like if you design a boss where they have certain things that you want the player to exploit in terms of like a strategy or a weakness or a suggestion of how you should tackle them rather than just be like, well, I'm just going to uh, level up until I'm, uh, until I outpace the boss. It, it also, this, I, it also works like I, the, probably the primary reason why it's set up this way is so, you know, there are 45 characters in this game. If you want to swap them in and out, they're all the same rank. That's, um, a good, that's a good point. I didn't consider that. Yeah. So there are there are some stats you get just by using them. So like a character that you use more often than a character you don't use will be a little bit like higher stats, but really it's not a big difference. Um, so you can swap them in and out and don't have to worry about someone being behind too much. Yeah, the game lends itself um, well to just like messing around with your party and not really worrying about like anyone getting being too, optimal. Too yeah, you're just, yeah, you're just I, if you like if you like experimentation with party compositions, like there's a good game for that. Yeah, like I said, uh, uh, I, I I had this gnome lady that I put in my party. Then I kind of kicked her out. I tried some other characters. There's like this character who looks like a knight, like a, just a traditional knight sort of general person, but he uses like a ray gun, which I thought was kind of, I actually forgot this character existed. I actually don't remember his name right now, to be honest. He's just a yeah, knight uh, with a ray gun. <laughs> and like, I just popped him in for a bit. I'm like, oh, he's kind of cool. I'll just pop him out. I tried this cat girl or this bunny girl, excuse me. Um, you know, then I got like a smithy person. I got this artist guy. Just, you can just pop him in and out. Generally speaking, the one part about the game that does require a little bit more organization in a way is that the game uses elements and again not to get too much into the details but you can basically slot onto characters what abilities they can do in terms of like magic and so you could spend a decent a few minutes like slotting certain good skills like magic skills onto a character and then because you've done that like all right i've set all these pretty good magic skills on you know the guy with the ray gun so i'm going to slot them in the party and kind of just keep them there because i don't want to i don't want to micromanage the rest of the characters, if that makes sense. But I, I think this is a, there's also a fascinating like re-release too, in terms of like the, the PC modding scene. Like, uh, like I did a quick search, like not, not even a few days ago on like next mods and seeing like how the, like the modding scene for Chrono Cross is developing. And just like, it's getting a really, really like dedicated, uh, modding scene. Just like, like I'm sure a lot of people weren't like, uh, jazzed about like the way this like shipped. But people have been finding really like cool ways to kind of uh, like enhance it. Like there are several like AI upscale projects in the works for it. Uh, like one of the mods like scales back the portraits so you see more of the character artwork in the in the portraits. Oh yeah. Um, one of the one of the more like weirder ones is someone replaced like Kid's portrait with like the 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 Japanese beta version of Kid. it's like this is like it's like cool stuff like legitimately like cool stuff people like weaponry textures this does have sort of the uh the uh final fantasy 9 port like on pc and whatnot Hmm. i don't know if this is a problem or just kind of the nature of things where um they the character models have been redone and they're you know actually maybe more of the final fantasy 8 remaster is a better comparison where the character models have been redone um, but the backgrounds really haven't, like maybe just a very slight upscale, not like an AI upscale, but just, you know, literally blown up. Yeah. And so you kind of end up with the issue where you have these slightly more detailed character models on top of, a you know, a original or kind of blur your background. Um, to me, that's just sort of the nature of things here. Um, 
but if you know you could like you said there might be mods to where there's up ai upscaled backgrounds that maybe they mesh better but you know personally that doesn't bother me too much that's just sort of like that's how these games were it was literally character models on like pre-rendered art and so that's just how it is um i'm sure, I'm sure down the line like they're yeah. like there's probably gonna be like some dedicated like group that'll like do like a, a full scale like uh, how how FF9 got like that whole uh, really gorgeous AI upscale mm-hmm. uh, project? I'm sure several. Yeah, years the Moguri mod. Yeah, that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to see that. That'd be an interesting. I, I want to see what that looks like. So yeah, I'm really I'm I'm kind of heading into the second half of the game, which is where things get you know weird from my from my recollection. So I'm interested to see just kind of like how much comes back to memory and just see if I you know can get a better grasp on exactly like how how it works and how it connects to chrono trigger and things like that because admittedly just offhand i just i don't quite remember that the the intricacies of its story as a standalone jrpg is it worth playing this for the first time in 2022 i mean i if you like classic rpgs i think kind of like similar to when i went into it the first time i think is if you have sort of a at least a baseline kind of acknowledgement that it is a little bit different than, you know, like a Final Fantasy VIII or, or maybe not VIII's not the best example, but just like a classic traditional like Final Fantasy IX or seven or whatever um, in terms of its structure and its style. And, you know, you don't have a set party member cast. It's a little bit different that way. But, you know, if you want to be adventurous, I say so. Cool. And obviously we do have the review up on the site from Cullen from, from April. Uh, go ahead and give that a read if you haven't. Uh, it sounds like some of the performance issues that he had uh, originally kind of highlighted in his review have been addressed to some extent. I don't know. Obviously, Adam still brought up his performance issues currently, but it seems like it's at least better than it was at launch. But a good way to experience a game that um, maybe you missed when it was uh, first released or when it came back out on PS3. I know I missed it both times, uh, but go ahead and give that a look. And we'll likely be kind of considering Chrono Cross as a candidate for best re-release of the year when we're at the end of the year for 2022 so to go on into what i've been playing for the week this probably won't be too long a section because mainly i've been going into aiden chronicles rising now this game was kind of one of the or basically the feature of our podcast last week so i don't want to just kind of rehash the same sort of stuff but we had adam who had uh reviewed it and josh who also had early access to it and was able to uh both of them were able to discuss their feelings on the game and how it acted it's acted as a kind of side game prelude to the more anticipated aiden chronicles 100 heroes i i went into aiden chronicles rising i keep saying chronicles chronicle rising uh with that conversation that we had last week in mind i kind of i almost feel like you I don't want I feel like this would be like pointing my like wagging my finger at you, but I almost kind of feel like you undersold how repetitive it is in terms of it is kind of like junk foodie in a way, which is kind of cozy where it's just tearing up your your weapons or your armor or your abilities. And then you go out and you get more you do more requests and you tear up your shops and you and you basically just kind of progress in a very linear fashion, both in terms of like where you're going and where the combat's going and also like your gear and your equipment. You don't have to make a lot of decisions in terms of like what you're doing with your with your weapons or with your armor, or with your abilities. It, the game kind of decides all that for you. And I don't know. Literally, how many literally times- the first word I use to describe the game in my, like in my tweet and review and whatnot is that it's very simple. <laughs> yeah, it is extremely simple. And I am also I'm very surprised how much like real estate's not the quite the right word but 
how much they were able to get out of a simple concept. Like one concept of this game is opening up shops to increase your gear score, your attributes or capability. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I'll probably, I'll probably make a weapon shop and an item shop and a smithy and maybe like a tavern. Right. But there's also like a farm and then some sort of attachment to the farm. There's a weapon shop an armor shop and a smithy and a potion shop and a bazaar and a trading post. And I'm just like, and every single time you open one of these shops or upgrade it, there's like this little goofy animation where the townspeople are like, quickly constructing the new building and i'm just really I just i think it's just i think it's just the same guy there's one guy building every building yeah one person job maybe a building uh, (laughs) like i knew going in that that was a factor of the game because you had said so but i was surprised like okay this is literally like the 24th time i've seen this little animation or i'm surprised like you you open up one point in the game like four or five hours in you open up a magic ward in the town of new navia or whatever so that you can like equip your gear with equip your characters with like the rune lens gear which is basically like your elemental contribution to your 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 outfitting your characters or whatever and even that they divide into like three different shops i don't even remember what they're called there's like one that you up that you craft the lenses in there's one that you update what level of lens you can equip and then there's one that's in the same district that's like upgrading your like your magic bag that holds your materials. And so at this point of the game, I have like 13 or 14 different shops in the town. And I just kind of like, you just kind of go to them in sequence, press the interact button and be like, all right, I can just click through all these weapon upgrades, click through all these armor upgrades, click through all these um, uh, bag upgrades or rune upgrades. And they're all very linear. You don't have to decide like, do I want this weapon or this weapon? You just equip a weapon and you upgrade it if you have the materials for it. And all the materials come from like three or four different dungeons. The thing is, is that none of, none of what I'm describing is like bad. It's just so straightforward that it's very boring. I've actually like fallen asleep twice trying to play this game and not literally like at my desk, but like I'll just like find myself getting sleepy and then I'll just like turn in for the night and then realize I didn't log out of the game. So right now I'm like halfway through Aiden Chronicles with like 45 hours played according to Steam because it's just on all that game. Uh, Yeah, so apparently I am just getting my money's worth. But biggest Aiden Rising fan here. Apparently, but according to my playtime, I do like the artwork especially like the full scale portraits of characters that will be uh re I don't know reintroduced in 100 heroes. I do agree with Adam that the uh the localization seems really well thought out and a lot of the characters have really cool manners of speaking and when you when you're talking to Hogan or when you're talking to Guru or all that each of them has like a distinct way of interacting with the cast and presenting like their This is kind of specific, but one thing I noticed about Guru's dialogue when I was watching you play is, and this is just like one of those like localization quirks, is that he oftentimes leaves out like the subject of his sentence must be the work of of bandits, or you know, like rather than saying this must be the work of bandits, he'll, he'll just be like must be the work of bandits or things like that. And I kind of noticed that he does that a lot, and that's just like one of those localization quirks that makes him kind of have like the characters have their own sound like their voice and how they speak and i thought that was interesting yeah and uh i'm actually kind of glad this doesn't have voice acting because i like there's so many times where i'm just literally like rapid firing through the dialogue as fast as i can uh, with all the quests. i'm surprised at how many quests are literally like i'm in the uh residential district i need to find someone in the second street district that 
has a money problem or whatever. Then you go there and you just speak to the person with a thing over your head. You don't have to do any thinking. And then they're like, oh, yeah, that's me. And then you just go back to whoever gave you the quest. Like, oh, thank you for finding this person that's clearly marked on your map. Uh, here is a stamp and 500 EXP or whatever. And I'm just like, nah. I feel like this game could have half as many quests and still be like the exact same experience because a lot of it is literally just running around town, smashing the, in my case, the R right bumper to go through the quests. And uh, just I a lot of times I'm just doing it because I'm upgrading my gear and I just run out of money because every time you upgrade your gear, it requires materials and some of your, I forget what the money is called. Um, and I was actually kind of like low on funds. So I'm just like completing quests because they each give you like some nominal amount of cash just to spend on stuff, which is, I guess, decent gameplay. It gives you incentive to do the quests and rather than them being pointless. So they're not pointless, but they're just boring. Uh, I feel like I would have been a little bit harder on you uh, on the game than you were. But at the same time, there's nothing about it that's like bad. It's just like it's just pure, like like almost like I'm unmoved by it. It just doesn't excite me. It doesn't interest me. It doesn't hold my interest, apparently. But I'm almost doing it kind of as like, ah, uh, it's a short game. It's a side game. Kind of like what you said. It's a $15 little bonus that none of us were expecting when those of us who supported the uh, the original Kickstarter were even asking for. So I'm just like, all right, don't like view it through that lens. And that way it becomes something that I'm not like judging it. I'm judging it on the appropriate scale of merit that I feel like I should be rather than treating this like some full-fledged thing that it's not and holding it to some I... standard that it was never going to meet. One way that I put it last time, uh, first of all, I'm pretty sure I, I felt like I said all of these things, both in yeah, you, verbal you, you form did. and in review form. Uh, but uh, I said, like, kind of, it's both fortunate and unfortunate that the worst parts about this game are its, like, gameplay and structure. Because it's fortunate because those are the components that will presumably not be carried over to the main game because it's got, that's a totally different style of game. So... You don't like the quest. You don't like the maybe the simple side scroller combat or whatnot. Like that's not what the Iden Chronicle Hundred Heroes is. That's going to be more traditional. Um, it's uh, obviously unfortunate because it's just you know a bummer that it's not not the most fun game to just like when you talk about pure game mechanics. It's not the most interesting or engaging game. Um, but the point that the, but the components that I felt were strong, like the sharp writing um, and the characterizations, like okay, if the main game can maintain that and that's good so that's just kind of what it is so realistically uh, uh, how many more times are you gonna sleep on this game am i gonna sleep on this game yeah. i'm gonna say like I am, sleep I, on it. i'm probably like 10 out actually 10 hours in despite my steam play time saying like 48 and i oh, feel yeah, like i'm like hey, one this one is one of those away. games this is never this is never a good sign I don't know if you guys ever do this, but if you're ever playing a game where you're like compelled to finish it, but you're not like really enjoying yourself, maybe I'm I'm not sure how many people do this, but I like wiki like how many main quests are there? I'm on quest 20. There are 31. OK, I'm getting I'm in the back half of the experience. Time to count down how much I have left, which is never a good sign when you get to that point where you're starting to feel like how long is there left? Hopefully not too much. And that's kind of where I'm at with this game. Where I'm like, all right, there's 10 quests really love left. this game. Yeah, there's 10 quests left. All right, I can push through. I can make it. I don't know. That's Maybe that's not a good motivation for a game, but I'm like, eh. You're just trying to cope because there's nothing out yet uh, in, in terms of video games right now. Yeah, I caught up on Monster Hunter. I want to knock this one out, and I want to get back to Stranger of Paradise. I think it was on sale on Epic, so I'll probably grab it and poke through that, which is also not 
based on our discussion on that from back in uh, March. Not too long of a game, so hopefully I can knock that one out pretty quick. The next game I'm thinking I'm mainly looking into is uh, Sunbreak expansion, which is, I think, like literally the last day of June, well, at least the last week yeah. of June. So I've got some time to knock out my R. We're in kind of a backlog crunching time as we've been in for a bit. But yeah, I don't uh, like I kind of said at the start of this section, we talked a lot about Aid and Chronicles Rising, maybe with a little bit more positive flair and a little bit more back and forth between uh, Adam and Josh last week. And we also talked about uh, Adam's written review up on the site for that game. Uh, a fun little appetizer for Aiden, just with some clearly stated drawbacks and some caveats. But go give that a read if you haven't yet. And to wrap out this games playing section, since there's three of us here and Adam and I have gotten to speak, we will hand it over to Josh. Uh, Josh, what have you been looking at during this backlog crunching section of the year? Yeah, I've been kind of running through backlog also. Um, uh, so what, one of the, the there, I saw a sale a few weeks back. Uh, from a site that was uh, uh, bundled the Spirit Hunter games, the experience like horror adventure games. So that is like Spirit Hunter Deathmark and Spirit Hunter NG. And so by experience, you mean the uh, the developer? Yeah, the developer. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, they were bundled for like five bucks. And I was like, sure, why not? Because one of my friends really, really wanted me to play them. So I, I started on Deathmark uh, this week. I think I played the first chapter. I'm like starting the second chapter. It's uh, it's it's pretty spooky. Um, but I I kind of dig the atmosphere so far. But it's it's definitely more adventure than a, a, an RPG. Like you know, because a lot of people uh, who like JRPGs associate experience with you know dungeon crawler JRPGs. Um, the the at least for Deathmark, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's more of a, it still ha- kind of has like those sectioned off like areas that we're kind of traversing a dungeon like area. But it's more of an adventure, more so than like an RPG. It does have like very, 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 very light RPG mechanics, but they don't really manifest in a meaningful way. So the like, uh, before I get to that, like the story setup. When, when you say games. adventure game, do you mean? Am I thinking more of a visual novel, or more like a Telltale game, or what? It's like it's like a visual novel, like visual novel, like uh, character interactions with like uh, kind of like Pixel Hunter style. Look, go investigate this room. With ah, like okay. your cursor, and there'll be like in, uh, items in the environment uh, for you to pick up, and you'll you'll need them later on. So, uh, like, I'll go uh, briefly into like the beginning of the game, which is chapter one, because that's all I know. So, if you want to go to this blind, just letting you know. Um, for anyone who wanted to play Deathmark, uh, I'll be briefly discussing chapter one. Um, so, the the premise of this game is that you're you're uh, playing this main character that you can rename. I don't remember their um, default character. I just renamed them. And the, this uh, you know main character one day is like passing by like uh, some schoolgirls uh, like talking about like uh, the like rumors about like uh, uh, of like missing people uh, and so forth. And uh, you know as that happens, uh, like he gets he kind of like uh, gets transported like unknowingly to this like mansion. And he's like, where am I? I don't know what's going on. And uh, he enters this mansion and it's all dark. And the, he sees like there's like a, a doll, like a, like a, a life-size doll in a maid outfit on like a, a couch nearby. But it's like not waking up or anything when he tries to interact with it. He's like, okay. Try. So he goes to investigate like the mansion because he saw that before he entered it, like one of like one of its wings like the light lit up in one of its wings. So like, okay, someone has to be here then. Um, 
so he he enters one of the rooms and he witnesses that, that there's a corpse on the on the floor and the the corpse has like like plants coming out of it like kind of like some flowers some plants and it's like it's kind of obviously very eerie there's blood on the floor and uh he sees something kind of like a ghost and then um like in in a like in an instant after that witnessing that um all the lights pop up and and the corpse is gone but the blood stain is still on the floor and he's like uh this this is like the opening event of the game yeah there's the opening event of the game well, one of the things I forgot to mention is like when he was transported to like this mansion, there's like a mark on like his right wrist, um, and it's kind of like uh, kind of like almost like red bite marks on his wrist. Um, so and like and, and like this thing like like kind of kind of like burns him at at times, but like he witnesses kind of like a a dangerous event uh, or danger looming around. So. You know the the mansion lights up, and he goes back to like to like the main lobby area, and he notices that this doll it has like woken up and like is speaking to him, and it's like okay, that's that that's weird. What's going on? And so this doll kind of lays out, oh, you have like a, a death mark on you. Um, if you don't do something about that, you will die at the next dawn when dawn or uh, comes, and it's like, uh, and so he's like. Oh, wow. I don't know, like, how to get rid of it, what's going on. Like, and he's, like, making a decision whether he should just, like, try to try his best, like, get rid of it, like, uh, do what, what it uh, what it takes, or kind of curl up and die and wait for his doom. Does, does the doll give him any indication of how to get rid of it? She, um, gives them, like, background, uh, like, uh, of, like, what, what could be the cause of the mark. Um, the, the corpse that he saw on the floor, uh, they think right now, uh, belonged to like the previous owner of the mansion her name was saya she was like a doctor of sorts um but uh you, you do you do get like info of like how how you might get, get rid of it so that that like to this prologue goes into like chapter one now and like there's like a knock on the door and um you're you're greeted by like the first like two like side characters in the game like um there's a school girl and like and then this uh elementary school boy so the girl's like i think high school and the elementary school boy uh, obviously is elementary school and they both have uh marks on them as well kind of like the bite marks and this is when they start talking about like um the mystery behind one of the um the high school that the girl goes to the the story of hanahiko and he's sort of like a kind of like an urban legend, a myth, uh, in the school where it's haunted, and like there's like a certain area in the school where like if you look into the mirror, you'll see Hanahiko in the mirror, and he'll ask you, uh, uh, "Hey, am I ugly?" Um, and then depending on how you answer, um, he'll he'll like kind of take your soul or take your life there. Um, and also, does, any, does any of this game take place in the school, or is this like just background? Yeah. You you do you do go to the school. That's kind of like the first dungeon. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, for chapter one, and then like and then you learn about Hanahiko, uh, like one of the preliminary details. Like uh, Hanahiko also like does not like grown ups. Like uh, so, that Hanahiko is more likely to attack if you're older. So, um, like so you 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 get introduced to like the the kind of the gameplay of the game. Uh, once you travel to the school to like investigate these rumors and what's going on. So you're like, uh, 
like along the way, um, you sort of have like these decisions that you make, um, but they're all time decisions, and that's uh, dictated by like, a spiritual force counter. It's kind of like your HP gauge almost, but it ticks down um, as soon as like the the decision making starts. So if you're um, like indecisive, it'll work against you because the, this thing is just constantly ticking down at a pretty pretty fast pace. Um, you can like you you can um, extend like the the cap of this sort of HP gauge by fighting like these talismans in the environment, but that's sort of like the the main thrust of the of the game for the most part when it comes to um, sort of like gameplay mechanics. There there is one other thing later on that I'll detail, but for just for now, like the you have time decisions in this game and quite a lot of them, and you also have like a handful of um life or death decisions where it'll the game will explicitly state like life or death and if like you're confronted with like a dangerous situation and if you don't answer right um that hp gauge will instantly go down to zero and like you just like get a game over and like you can you can retry from like where you die or just go back to the last save point um in that so as you're encountering like investigating the school it's like in, in the dead of night it's haunted and you're like and you're and you're exploring like each like section of the school finding you know sort of like items that like you may or may not um need um you'll get to a point where you uh you you, you get to like the, the depths of the school and you go to like a basement area um you meet another person in that in that area which is who's like an ex detective um, and he's kind of ex- like trying to find. Uh, he's kind of in a similar situation that you are, where he also has a has a mark and also is also investigating this place uh, as well. Eventually, you kind of recuperate about uh, of things that happened in the school um, because, like, you, you've learned so much. So you kind of like go back to like the mansion to kind of you know get your bearings and kind of discuss like you know what happened um, as, as you're investigating and and now. That you're kind of piecing together, like, like why the legend of Hanahiko came to be. It's like a pretty like dark backstory. I won't, I won't spoil that, but it's kind of it's this is all heavier the first than chapter. It's all the first chapter. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of loaded in a way, but I kind of like it. Um, so uh, after you've like kind of discussed like with everyone and the doll in the mansion, like okay. Like these are the, the these are the things we know about Hanehiko, so we need to find a way to confront Hanehiko because the only way to kind of uh, they surmise is to get rid of the death or the death marks on them is to you know confront Hanehiko and either like like banish it in some sort of way. Um, so you go there, you you kind of pick up like the remaining like items that you'll need to proceed, like as as like you know, uh, like upon revisiting like the school in chapter one. Um, there'll be like new items for you to procure because there are like these locked doors and you found the key ring uh, uh, on that revisit. So you kind of procure these items. And once that you get like all the items necessary, it kind of starts railroading you into like kind of like the, the final like quote unquote battle in chapter one. So like you face off against Hanehiko. And this is where like the RPG esque elements come in. So like each uh your you have your main character and you have you can have like one partner character with you when you go explore the school. So in this one you can have 
um, the either the ex detective or one of the two kids in uh, with you, and um, when you face off against Hanhiko, it's kind of like an, an experience uh, uh, JRPG like first person interface. Like you have your your characters like facing the Hanihiko as he's like getting closer, and you can have you can like do an action per each character. So like and the the actions they available to them are like the items that you picked up uh, along the way. So you'll you'll learn things about like Hanihiko's like characteristics, like you know like Hanihiko uses plants. You picked up a note on like how to like kind of mix these like two items together or like it kind of hints you at like how to get rid of like weeds um there are uh things about the legend of hanihiko that like of like things that he is that he's weak to so uh in this kind of like showdown with hanihiko there there's no there's no more of like that this force like uh hp gauge at this part of the game like so you can like take your time like choosing which items you want each character to use but they uh, but they they work in unison if you if you uh, choose the correct items. So for example, um, you learn that Hanihiko doesn't like uh, like like the sight of blood, um, and you uh, you happen to have um, like uh, an umbrella and like a, a a sheet of cloth that you that you learn you can like uh, combine these two together to like kind of inch closer to Hanihiko because as Hanihiko is like um approaching you like li- like large gusts of wind are like in your way so you have to like find a way to get close to Hanihiko or for him to get close to you so you have to find a way to like safely approach him without getting like um hit by his vines and also um like uh, bypassing this wind uh so like, i i have two questions is it yeah. is it possible to go into this like final showdown of the chapter without the items necessary I think I I don't think so. I think I think because once you get, once you gather those uh, items, like it, it was very clearly like okay now like it, it seems to be like a, be a check of like okay you got these items now we're gonna railroad you into this battle. So like you have you have a like a- along the way you all like have um like collected a lot of items, but it's unclear to you right away. You have to kind of uh, think about it and uh, think about the things that you learned about the way. To like confront it properly, but I don't think you're ever going to get into the situation where you get railroaded into this showdown without having the proper items necessary. So you just face. need to have been paying attention to know which ones uh, to use. Yeah, ex- exactly. So, um, and and it is pretty weird that there are stats uh, associated to your character. So like, there's a stat screen, and like some of them is like power, spiritual power, and I think there's like two other stats. Like, uh, uh, and I don't know exactly. How they factor in because your characters don't level up at all uh, in there. Um, so, he, he, like you, you confront like Hanihiko. You, if you, if you, if you guess like not guess, but if you chose correctly on like what to do against him, obviously you'll get make it out alive. And if not, well, if Hanihiko kills you, um, and and then you, and then after you solve the uh, the mystery of Hanihiko, all like the people that you met along the way, their marks are gone, but you, the main character. Your mark is not, and that's how I you know I assume that's the rest of the game of like okay how do I get rid of this mark? Um, I will I will no longer die at dawn. The doll will tell you well you know getting rid of Hanihiko was able to extend your lifespan uh, by getting rid of him, but the, the, the Hanihiko is not the cause of your uh, mark. 
unlike the other um, characters. So I assume there will be like you know more chapters that investigate more supernatural cases, and uh, as you inch along this like you know overall narrative, like trying to find like who placed this mark on me and how do I get rid of it. And I assume that like, you'll meet new characters per chapter, and like obviously just like the school, there will be like other areas that serve as like the dungeons where you like find items and you face off against like the supernatural phenomenon. Um, and it, I think, I think it's pretty, it's pretty neat. I, I, it's like kind of very trial and error ish in a way. And, uh, and like as you're navigating through like the area, it's kind of tedious, but I'm, I'm willing to forgive it because it's like it's actually the first in the series. And I assume that the next game will have more refinements, but in a way, like it's very experience, like what you would, uh, get from like an early like first entry in an experience game where it's like there, there are cool ideas some of it is unrefined but like but there's not a lot of games that kind of have that like vibe uh, the way that i experience games do you know like how many chapters there are i don't know how many chapters there are well, i have no idea but but like the first chapter took me like maybe like an hour and a half to two hours it's not it wasn't uh, okay long. It's because you went into a lot of detail. I'm like, wow, this sounds really meaty. I bet there's only like three or four chapters, but you just went really like in depth for something that took an hour and a half or two hours. So yeah. maybe, maybe so maybe there's more, uh, like a half dozen or more. So yeah, maybe it'd be really cool to see like if they touch on different locations and how like varied those get. Yeah, there, ac- yeah. there actually is something you uh, might not have realized. We have a surprise guest. Oh, <laughs> My alarm didn't work. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, James Galizio. So um, I've actually played Deathmark a bit myself. And uh, one interesting thing about the first chapter or first case, whatever you want to call it, is that you have two separate like partners you can choose to bring with you. Yeah. And you have to specifically bring the right uh, partner for both of them to survive. If you bring the wrong partner to that final encounter, even if you'll win the fight, there there will be like a little scene afterwards where they'll kind of head off for a bit. And uh, if you brought the right partner, they'll be fine. If you didn't, they'll be dead. Oh, well, I got, I guess I got lucky because uh, both of them made it out then. I didn't know that could happen. Yep. It's one of those things where it's like a kind of different narrative choices, but you don't really know until you have it the game experience from two different perspectives. Well, kind of cool that James was able to jump on when he did to uh, kind of go back and forth a little bit at the end there about Deathmark. Uh, what are you playing it on? I don't know what this is available on. I, I've been playing it on Steam. Gotcha. And before we go into the news section that I kind of preluded to at the top of this podcast, since you are here, James, uh, did you want to discuss anything in the at the tail end of this uh, introductory game section here, or should we just go straight on into uh, the topical part? Uh, let's just go straight on. Gotcha. We can always earmark more time for what you've been playing on for next week. So as I have stated at the top of the podcast, we had a kind of a decent number of kind of mid-tier announcements here. No no big headlines, but announcements of announcements, trailers, some other things. Uh, so we'll go straight on into it. On those RPGsite.net front, we don't have quite as many new features as we did last week where we had something like four reviews go up we had the uh centennial case review we had the uh aiden chronicles rising review we had james's monochromobius feature uh but we did put up one feature on the site for this last week and that is uh, a feature talking about the new playstation plus subscription service with the three different tiers that we discussed uh i believe first in 
late March. And we were kind of wondering about what would be available on the new service or on the new tiers of service from the PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, PSP, and PlayStation 3 era to be able to play on a modern Sony console in terms of the RPG space. Well, we kind of uh, synthesized a list together, and it is unfortunately kind of a kind of trim not 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 a whole lot to go on here and i was actually like i wasn't i must have been focusing on my day job or my at work when this was when this list was put together because when i was going through the podcast uh outline today to see like oh i wonder what is available on the uh new playstation <laughs> plus service in the rpg space and i'm scrolling through this article on rpgsite.net and it's like here are the original playstation rpgs available on playstation playstation plus premium none I'm like, wait, really? Uh, okay, let's go to PS2. And the list is Ark the Lad, Dark Clouds 1 and 2. Hold on, this, is, this, is, this is important. It's a specific Ark the Lad. Which Ark the Lad is it? Uh, it's Ark the Lad, Twilight of the Spirits. Okay. I guess I don't have the context there. For uh, uh, Ark the Lad, Twilight of the Spirits is a very... Yeah, Ark the Lad, Twilight of the Spirits is a very... It's not the same as the other Ark the Lads. Gotcha. So again, to to recap, this is a, a feature on RPGSite.net. All the PlayStation like classic games that are in the RPG space or adjacent to it available on the new subscription service. PlayStation One, none. PlayStation Two, we've got Ark the Lad, Twilight of the Spirits, Dark Clouds One and Two, Rogue Galaxy, and Wild Arms Three. That is the list. PlayStation Portable, PSP games, none. PS3 games via cloud streaming because remember that's the only way that these ps3 games are playable on the new service uh demons souls which is a great game but that is the extent of the list so that is six rpgs available on the new tiered subscription service for PlayStation. as as far as classic games catalog goes that is not gonna this isn't covering like playstation 4 and playstation 5 stuff you go through yeah three three and older yeah yeah so I mean, it's you know, this is a preliminary list that Sony shared at their PlayStation blog. It's not; they said these are the first ones they were unveiling. I don't know if this is that this will be like the only ones at the at at launch, but that's the ones that they shared. And you know, it's it's a lot of it's not surprising. It's it feels like it's more like it feels more like list constructed like an out out of obligation to construct or to make classic games playable, like. The PS2 RPGs that they offered are were part of that PS2 on PS4 program that they um, kind of rolled out a few years back and then unceremoniously, like kind of. Yeah, never really got its wind under its sails or whatever. Yeah, and and like these these were like some of these games had like had like higher resolution, but not like, but but not but not anything like glamorous. They had like trophy support. Um, They're kind of like mini remasters. Sort of. Yeah, more, like, some, more like up ports. Like Yeah. And some of them like introduce like new glitches and bugs to them. I don't know if those ever get fixed, but as long as you can still do broken daggers and dark cloud. You can. Nice. There you, there you go. So, no other way to play that game. You know, I'll try like uh, I'll keep an eye out uh, as like you know as the service raw, you know, continues to evolve and uh, hopefully add more RPGs. You know, obviously there's not the uh, many, many RPG fans are not happy with their slim offerings and you know just people in general it's not even just rpg fans just like just it's just for any genre like the people like look at the list like eh, it's 
Well, it's a start, I guess, but not really. It's the, it, it it shouldn't compel anyone to be like, oh, I should go pay like, how is it like eighteen dollars a month? Before, yeah, it's uh, only the uh, it's the premium tier. Yeah. Um, That's yeah, so unfortunately a very limited list, but as you said, it's preliminary. So hopefully, we'll be revisiting within a week or maybe, I don't know. I don't know what the time scale is in the future, and look back on this and say like, all right, it wasn't it, it wasn't that sparse. Yeah, I, I did want to call out that like when they uh, were detailing specifics on uh, the service, uh, I like I wanted to be very clear based on the language of the PlayStation blog post. The players have to download like a version uh, made specifically for consoles. So let's say they have like the people have like they built up a, a digital PS One and PS PSP collection, you know, when the, through the PS Three and the uh, PS Vita to play it on those. Um, and if they wanna, if they wanna like play those games that they built up and already bought on this service. Um, the Sony, the PlayStation blog was very clear in saying that players have to, quote, download a version for the consoles at no extra cost, and end quote. So meaning they have to wait for that specific game to be made available on the PlayStation premium uh, service in order to play them. So that they, they even if this thing launches and they have like a, a, an old PS1 game they wanted to play on the PS5, they, uh, they're based on the the way they're they're wording it. They, that will not be supported unless they made uh, they made a down uh, they made a version specifically for the console. For so that sort know. of sounds like the Wii Virtual Console and Wii U Virtual Console. Um, whereas, like like for example, Paper Mario mm-hmm. was on Wii Virtual Console, and then they you know when the Wii U came out. Like they like you could get the Wii U version of Paper Mario, but they had to release it, and then you it would be like slightly different. There was like more emulation like features or whatnot. It wasn't free; it was di- like heavily discounted. But it, you know, you kind of had to wait for that version to release. But yeah, that list is uh, six games long right now. Uh, Demon Souls is great if you want to play the original version of that. But hopefully, we come back and we learn about other games that are going to be slowly introduced and added on the list. But we don't know for certain. That's wishful thinking and conjecture at this point obviously we hope that uh the system gets well supported and the subscription service sees a lot of you know use and provides a viable avenue to play a lot of these classic games especially if it's asking for the highest payment tier in order to access them going into the main news of the week we do have two uh game announcements here at the start that we will uh start with and one of one of them is something that I think Adam and I were kind of hopeful for, but I don't think we were at all expecting. So back in, oh, I hope I get the year right. Was it 2019? Uh, we both played uh, Spider's Greedfall, which was a Western RPG kind of in the vein of it was often described as a Bioware-esque game in terms of its focus on story, its uh, combat, and the way it introduced its characters. However, shortly after the release of Greedfall, Spiders was acquired by Nasson, the French publisher, and unveiled Nacon. Oh, it's not a soft C? Uh, Sorry, Nacon. Oh, I have no idea, actually, (laughs) if it is. Anyways, uh, Nacon. Nacon. We'll go with that, because I trust Adam. Uh, Greedfall, we thought, I reviewed it. It I thought it was decent. Obviously, a, a smaller budget game, so I kind of addressed it with that in mind. But that was published under Focus Entertainment at the time, Focus Home Entertainment. And then Spiders Focus was... Focus Home Interactive. Uh, oh, it was Focus Home Interactive, and now it's Focus Entertainment. I hope I have that right. Yeah. But then 
Spiders was acquired by Nacon, and then they unveiled Steel Rising, which is currently in its marketing cycle as well, which we've touched on that game. It felt like Greedfall. I forget at the time if we knew who the IP belonged to, but anyways, it's a moot point now because uh, Spiders and Nacon, their new publisher that owns them, have announced Greedfall 2, The Dying World uh, for PC and consoles. And interestingly enough, this is a prequel set three years before the events of the original game and in the original game you take uh the role of effectively one of the western colonizers on a new uh on the native land of tier for d and this game it feels like it is the opposite you now take the role of a native character who is being brought back to uh whatever the europe stand in is i forget i forget what the name of the continent is gasan so it kind of gives you the exact opposite perspective now, I touched on this. I'm not an expert, and I kind of touched on this very maybe like at a high level with the original review, saying that I thought that Greedfall handled the subject matter pretty well in terms of how it incorporated the native faction into the game and treated them a little bit differently than the other ones. I thought it did it with a bit of tact and a bit of, uh, at least from my kind of admittedly uneducated uh, viewpoint. So I do think it's interesting that for this prequel that they're having it so that that now is the role that you will be taking in the game playing as a native character. So I kind of do have a good degree of faith that they will um, give it the kind of the due diligence and the justice that it deserves. I think it is interesting that it is a prequel. I do think that more people are kind of interested in this premise more than Steel Rising, which is more of kind of like the uh, the double A souls like, which is kind of a market that I feel like has been really saturated, which the, the Bioware esque RPG WRPG has not been as much. Uh, no release window for this. We just have the uh, the announcement trailer, which is basically like a minute of CG footage kind of establishing the premise. Uh, uh they said 2024. That's our oh, they did window. gotcha on yeah. the site. We still have TBA, but uh, 2024, obviously, uh, far enough out that we don't know how much to put a stake in that but interesting because i think this is like i was like is spiders big enough to like be working on two projects simultaneously and i guess they are because obviously still rising is still set for this year and now we know kind of what they're working on alongside with that i believe greedfall was by far their most successful game selling like two million copies so you know not like a mega amount like you know the big publishers but hey for for a tiny team like that that's pretty good yeah, so it'll be interesting to see, like, uh, the game they made before Greedwall, Paul, I believe, was Technomancer. I forget if something was between there. And it feels like Spiders has been kind of on an upward trajectory. Well, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Steel Rising is uh, received and then obviously go straight into Greedfall 2 and hopefully within a couple of years and see if it's able to build on the momentum of the original game, which seemed like it kind of had a a strong starting point for for a new setting in that ip and cool that the that the original developer of the game was able to uh hold on to that despite changing publishers we also got an announcement and this was a little bit teased we didn't talk about it on the podcast but we had a teaser i forget if it was a website or a countdown or both for a new project from compile heart and it turns out that this countdown teaser ended up being fairy fencer f refrain chord coming out in September in Japan for PlayStation 4 and 5 and Nintendo Switch. Now, did anyone here play Fairy Fencer F or it's like Remaster Advent something? Yeah, it was like Fairy Fencer F and like uh, like and then like a re-release of it, Fairy Fencer F Advent Dark Force, which added like more content uh, to I'm it. I'm glad you remember like, the name. I felt bad by saying Advent yeah. something. Yeah, like it was effectively like the definitive version of the game. 
Um, I never played them. Like I have had friends who've uh, played them and like enjoyed like Advent Dark Force. They didn't like the original release, but yeah, I I mean they they seem to be competent games. Uh, people like, and uh, this one this one's like uh pretty it interesting. It has the because... same cast as the Fairfinter of. So yeah, some of them some of them has like the same main characters. There are definitely some new characters they introduced with this one. But the more uh, interesting thing for a lot of people is like this is a genre shift. Um, with uh, Refrain Core, there's now a strategy RPG instead of um, like kind of a turn-based RPG because the original one had like the hyperdimension Neptunia uh, battle system where like you can like go around like this field, uh, this zone like circular zone to like uh, go near enemies and like attack them with your weapon. Um, so like you know like a lot of like what previous Neptunia games did, um, but now this one is like a like an isometric strategy RPG and it's being developed by Sting. Um, and Sting is definitely uh, a well, like, you know, they're, they're pretty niche, uh, but uh, a lot of people will know them by like their PSP RPGs, like Gungnir or um, Knights of the Nightmare. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, this is—I don't know what to, what to make of it because I don't really have a strong attachment to the Fairy Fencer theories. Um, there is some like concern because there are definitely some screenshots that like showed like. The original events of the game of like the like the the main dude and like the main chick like meeting up for the first time and we don't really know if that's like a flashback, uh, referring to a flashback or if this is just another yeah, retelling. It, is it game. a retelling? Is it something in the game where it's like remember when we first met or whatever? Yeah. Just an interesting screenshot to put out there with the original announcement of the game because it does start the same cast as Fairy Fencer F, or yeah, for even at least but, largely. But, yeah, but they introduce like ca- like new characters along with mm-hmm. it, so. I don't know. I mean, I, I want to see more of the game in motion. There's like kind of like a teaser, uh, a gameplay of it, but I want to see like how this game, like, uh, get, take a deeper dive into what it's all about. But I, you know, the, the a lot of people who like Fairy Fencer are now are just like, oh wow, they're making a new one of these, and it's a genre shift. That's it, it's definitely something that like it it um, catches the eye, if nothing else. I remember when this teaser first came up, people were like, a, a new game in Hyper Dimension, Neptunia, that's not like a remaster, re-release, remake? Uh, nope, Fairy Fencer. But at the same time, also not clearly a sequel. To be fair, when they teased this, they called it their Galapagos RPG series, which doesn't include Neptunia. So it wasn't going to be a Neptunia game. Oh, I, I saw, I saw some people much. saying, I don't think I've played a single compiler game, but I saw some people saying like Neptunia, but maybe they just saw they published or the developer and that's all they that's all they went with. I, I don't know why they call it Galapagos, but that that's like their series. That's like their like non-Neptunia RPGs. It's like Omega Quintet and uh, I can't remember, like Dragon Star Varnier and a few of their other just kind of like other games. They kind of call this yeah, like the yeah yeah it's like, yeah it's, yeah Death End Request yeah um, yeah. So they, they they when they tease this, they're like it's our new era Galapagos. I don't know why they call it Galapagos. Yeah, that's they, like an they, yeah, they also did a they also fall under a James' favorite RPG, Ark of Alchemist. <laughs> you know, kill it, kill it. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, uh, announced for Japan uh, in September. As far as I can tell, no Western announcement at the time of recording. They. The, Idea Factory International still has to announce anything about that sister versus sisters game. Oh yeah, the oh really? I thought that had been announced. That is, that I mean, is it's already out in Japan. Japan. It's already out in Japan. So well, I thought, I thought, yeah. I thought it, like Western had been announced. Oh so, no, they they barely released the uh, the Neptunia Senran Kagura crossover game. Oh, maybe that's what I was thinking of. Too many Neptunia games. 
Outside of those two announcements, we have a couple things that are sort of like announcements or announcements of announcements. And uh, we have a trio of things that are Square Enix related. So unfortunately, no real headlines here, but I guess things to look forward to that we'll probably be discussing in the podcast in the coming coming weeks or months. Um, during the uh, press event for the Final Fantasy VII Battle Royale, the first soldier, uh, Nomura kind of obviously a the creative director of the Final Fantasy VII Remake, his, his title shifted. What did it become for Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two? Like executive producer. Yeah, like like he had like some sort of title shift for the second part of the remake that seemed like it was kind of functionally equivalent. He teased as if he was going to give new uh, more information about news attached to the Final Fantasy VII 25th anniversary. So likely talking about the Final Fantasy VII Remake follow-up, whether it's Part Two or whatever. Uh, but basically, he said to look out for new information next month. Next month, we will publish various things. So kind of an announcement of announcement. It seems like at some point in June, which is kind of when we sort of were expecting this anyway, we might get some more information about what is in the future for this new era of Final Fantasy VII projects. So I guess stay tuned. We don't really have any other details other than that. Yeah, I mean, the only things we really know is like, obviously, the first soldier is doing what it's doing. But other than that, like the the what we know so far for ff7 is remake part two and that ever crisis mobile game that is meant to like be a like a compilation of all the ff7 projects that came ever which is like the original ff7 um crisis core um ad, I, don't, I don't even know if it's, I don't know if it's yeah they're the cerberus i don't know if it even covers advent children but maybe before crisis Right, yeah, for crisis. So, ever crisis is still like a like it feels like a one big question mark of like how they're planning to structure that. It's it's going to encompass all of FF seven that ever were, that ever was. <laughs> Which I, I think you know, if it's not remake part two, it has to be that, right? Who knows? And by the way, uh, I went back to the article from last February 2021 about Nomura's role is that he is not directly helming Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two. That'll instead be Naoki Hamaguchi, but he's on the FF7 series creative director. So he's still a creative director, but he's not directing specifically Remake Part Two. I wanted to get on that rather than leave it wishy-washy. So still very much like has his hands on the project significantly. And you know, the, June is the not E3 month, so maybe mm-hmm. like Square Enix, you know, has a the, the host their own event for June. Maybe we'll see it there. And here's a related headline on the site. This is a this is very much an Alex Donaldson headline. Uh, he went in and talked about uh, some of the new trademarks that Square Enix has filed that are likely related to Final Fantasy VII. I don't know how much we'll dig in on these, but some of these trademarks include Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade, possibly talking about re, re, re-upping that trademark for a Steam release, because right now it's only on, on Epic Game Store. Uh, a new trademark for Final Bar Line. The three words, Final Bar Line. You can speculate. That, <laughs> that seems like a Kingdom Hearts like title, like subtitle. Yeah, uh, Alex sits here and speculates this could be related to some Square Enix rhythm game in the realm of theater rhythm or melody of memory. Uh, maybe who knows? No idea. Speculate away. Awesome. Yeah, I, I hope it's like sort of like a more theatrism more than melody of memory sort of project. If it's like if it's like a console part of like the arcade version of theatrism, that'd be that'd be awesome. Uh, and then the last one is a trademark for Labyrinth Striker. 
However, Gamatsu, who originally uh, found this, I don't know if they originally did, but they reported also on this trademark and noticed that it's a combination of the two words, Labyrinth Striker. So uh, Sal over at Gamatsu speculates that this could be localized as like a single like combined word, like Labyrinth Striker as like a full, like a four syllable word. Again, who the hell knows uh, what that could be, but trademarks. We don't know like if they're teasing announcements or if they could literally just be nothing. Yeah, you know that like yeah. it, it it is worth like at least looking at for square days because remember Valkyrie Elysium first existed as a trademark and no hey, one good point, good point. Else. So could very well be the their uh, their next unannounced projects to unveil. And more interesting Square Enix announcement of announcement news. Uh, they will hold a official Saga series live stream on May 31st, which is, I believe, next Tuesday. No, in a couple Tuesdays from now, a week from next Tuesday. And we learned, we talked about on the podcast late last year that the director of the Saga series, Kwazu, is currently working on a remaster, a remake, and a new game. At the time, we speculated that the remaster was Saga Frontier 2. Uh, remake, I forget if he's... I think yeah, yeah, I think Unlimited Saga. Yeah, uh, and then obviously a new game in the series because we had 2016 Saga Scarlet Grace. Was that when, when it originally released? And then we saw it first in 2019. Uh, but yeah, we have a, a streaming event in about a week and a half for the Saga series. I, I would Adam. say I would say for for people to like kind of manage their expectations on it too because we don't really know because most of these Saga uh, streams are usually like, hey, there's like a mini concert and like talking about. Uh, saga reuniverse news so like I, I would say manage your expectations and be pleasantly surprised if they announce something new yeah we know that they mentioned in the past that they're working on that remaster remake a new game but we no comp no confirmation that those are gonna show at this uh streaming event but of course uh, we can hope. take it from me who's like watch many of these japanese live streams yeah <laughs> so so let's see. And also sort of announcement news for the week. Uh, a lot of this is uh, new updates to mostly some Japanese websites that kind of give us some introduction information on games that we are previously announced. But we'll start with one that is a new project. And this is a teaser website for a new Furio action RPG currently titled Project Try Try. And yeah, this yeah. is a game that's uh, set to release for PlayStation for PlayStation 5 and Nintendo Switch. This teaser website kind of just gives some basic information about the world. Well, the, the, let's not bury the lead, like because when it comes oh. to these Furio projects, like like the 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 thing that Furi relies on for like uh, announcing these projects, it, can, it, it was for Monarch, is for Caligula effect, is like the the staff working on it. And once again, like this staff, uh, they they uh, introduce is like very like JRPG veterans. Like these people like are well known for. Yeah, like very famous JRPGs that they've done in the past. So, and like, the, no, go for it. I was gonna say the I look at the cast uh, cast list, the staff list here, and the initial one that that I immediately pick out in my head is character design by Raita Kazama, who did uh, some of the two D art for the original Xenoblade. He also did the uh, I believe the Brigadine remaster. So, and then uh, the world design by Nobutero Yuki, who worked on Trials of Mana and Ah Chrono Cross. So topical. Uh, music by Hiroki Kikuta, sorry, Hiroki Kikuta, who did Secret of Mana and Trials of Mana. And we have the whole list here for who also who did the uh, some other design, animation, and development. And it's worth noting that like the development uh, studio on this is Three Rings, and like Three Rings, understandably, is not a very well known uh, development studio. That like 
Adam went and digged up, like, you know, went to their sites, like, what have they done? They did a One Piece romance done and an assassination classroom assassin training plan. It's like, all right, well, it seems like they haven't worked on something for quite a while then, because uh, those are pretty old games at this point. So, you know, once, a, like, it's, it's kind of weird. Like, you know, like, you're, if you remember the, um, the, when Monarch was teased last year, or I don't know if it was last year, but they were like Shin Megami like, Tensei vets. Yeah, they, no, like, not even, not even Shin Megami Tensei. It was like old school Megami Tensei. Oh, Megami Tensei. Tensei. Yeah. Yeah. Like, vets working on it. It was like a countdown. They had like this whole thing. It's like, okay. And it's like, they Monarch. unveiled like a new name each, every two <laughs> like, days. Like, remember, like, like when, when Monarch was being teased, like, you, like, people could like go actually call a phone line. Uh, like that had like that was part of the teaser because like it was like you know it's supposed to be like a mystery type deal and like kind of like a suspense um, and it was very elaborate you know and and like a lot of like the Famitsu teaser for Monarch was like oh like these are the staff this is the staff list like the whole teaser like this is the staff list and like and, like sectioned off and like blurred some of the staff list so like it was like yeah kind of like you know intentionally censored to like you know kind of add on to the mystery and then you know but we got was Monarch and you know. Monarch uh, was a thing. It was definitely a game that released this year in in the West. Um, and yeah, so you know, I would say once again, temper your expectations um, for this project. Try, try. Uh, Sal of Gamatsu did some digging and uh, speculates that the the title of this game is likely Trinity Trigger, based on domain names. Um, and you know, they they uh, they laid out you know concept story and some of the, the initial character sketches and like there's also like some sort of like pokemon-esque element to this like we don't exactly know what how this will manifest but there are definitely like creatures that like resemble like pokemon like they're like a three starters uh concept art and whatever these things are called uh atsuko nishida no tomohiro kitakaze and megumi mizutani of the pokemon series are working on this project, which is once again, you know, um, pulling in like very notable staff that have like established records of the past. But who knows? Who knows? Furuyu has like has, has been on this weird kick, and I think the thing that like sticks out to me in this announcement is like the this action RPG that they're teasing it like supports up to three players. So I guess there'll be some sort of like multiplayer element to this project, whatever it is. And the release date is is quarter two of this year. <laughs> and if this is what they have to show so far, then okay, well. And a, a full release is slated for about a in less than a week on May twenty sixth. Obviously, this is from a Japanese teaser website, so there's been no details at all for localization or publisher publishing worldwide or anything like that. So we don't know if we'll get that with the full release or if it'll dovetail on later. So we'll just have to wait and see, and we'll probably uh, follow up on this within a podcast or two. Yeah, it's 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 so like weird that like this is what Fudu has been like leaning on now, and, like to like kind of build excitement for their announcements is like it's kind of it kind of reminds you of like when uh you know a lot of like uh veterans of video uh, of video games like uh, went to Kickstarter and that was like the headline like for their Kickstarter was like oh from the creator of blah blah blah. Well, yeah. that doesn't always work out well because I know this is this is a way different perspective, but like I just I talked on the podcast two weeks ago about Weird West. Like this is from Arcane Studio Veterans and it didn't really show. And it also didn't really show for Monarch because that game kind of came and went without a whole lot of fanfare. But I guess that's the tack that they're going with for their uh, initial marketing boom. Yeah. Uh, this next set of information 
is also from an official Japanese website update. And this feels like very nostalgic for me. So this is an update for the recently announced One Piece Odyssey RPG. So we talked about this uh, announcement a couple of weeks ago when it was first announced. And what we got this week was an update to the website that provided mostly new screenshots. And this feels like something out of like the late 90s for me, because it seems like now we've got like streaming events and obviously just trailer premieres and things like that. We're getting a batch of screenshots usually isn't that exciting but for some for some reason well I, for a very clear reason for this one piece odyssey game we got a batch of new screenshots and uh, alongside some character bios and things like that which a lot of people i think have really latched onto mainly because it kind of really clearly indicates what sort of game this is we know that this is kind of a side story spin-off of the one piece story so you don't have to be familiar with like the specific going on of the manga. You just need to be familiar with the premise and the characters. And when we share these screenshots uh, and of, of course other publications as well, people were immediately drawing comparisons to all sorts of RPGs all over the place because these screenshots no JRPG existence that the people uh, compared it to that pretty much so this uh this website update very clearly kind of delineates two different gameplay modes for this game exploration and battle I believe those are the simple names oh adventure and battle so not not anything like this is kind of died in the wool very straightforward stuff for RPGs but very clearly a highly traditional turn-based battle system with four characters from the straw hat pirates lined up against different sorts of enemy units and the there's they talk about like combo attacks and uh, original characters and things like that but like, this is like kaseki or this is like shin megami tensei or i don't, I don't know what other uh, comparisons people compared seen, it to persona 5 they compared it to kaseki they compared it to atelier they compared it to xenoblade compared to dragon uh, quest xenoblade seems like a weird comparison to me because it's turn-based like i said they yeah. compared it to every jrpg in existence <laughs> You know, I mean, it's it's cool. Like uh, like these uh, these uh, shots, if nothing else, um, are like make the game look very lively. Very like, there's a lot of like effort put into this. Like the the, the art, like, the art assets coming together is like really really neat. And I I really like the interface for battles. Yeah, the UI is pretty stylish and it's fitting. Yeah, uh, I, I, I guess like, I don't know much about One Piece, so I mean, like, it, like I don't know if it's like, am I qualified to like play this? <laughs> There's some element of that for me in that. In I guess I will say that the characters. I mean, I, if you've seen the screenshots, they're their post time skip uh, iterations, which I think is the majority of the One Piece. I, the time skip was over a decade ago now, right? I've only seen like the first like four or five arcs of the anime. Never read, never read the manga. So yeah, so I don't really know like how how much we need to know about the world and the mythos in order to enjoy this game. Should I start reading the manga? Do I just have to yeah. like, uh, commit like five months of straight <laughs> reading 24 seven? Um, so the two uh, original characters that they also detailed on the website are Lim, who is a mysterious girl who lives on the island and hates pirates. And Adio, who is another castaway who lives on the island, who acts as a guide for the Straw Hats. So two characters that are kind of tied to this game only location so it makes sense that they're kind of original characters and i think i forget exactly the take that we had at the time when we announced when we uh, first talked about when this game was revealed it being kind of a spin-off story i think for a story that it is as long in the tooth as one piece i forget i hope i'm not like going back on something i said at the time but it seems like the right idea so it's approachable so people who aren't up to date can still get something out of it hopefully we'll have to see if that actually holds true but yeah, people seem really jazzed about this. Uh, currently, still no no new updates for its release window, just kind of to be announced uh, 2022 worldwide. And that is uh, PlayStation 5, Xbox consoles, and PC. 
We also got a website update for the upcoming Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Now, Adam can probably go into more detail of this than I can, but I do know that the Xenoblade like Twitter page has been doing like piecemeal updates since like the marketing cycle began uh, a bit ago. And then the website just kind of synthesized some of those updates together. And talked a little bit about the world of Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Uh, field skills do return, but it seems like now they're tied to characters that you find rather than tied to like a game mechanic. Because I know that was kind of one of the big bugbears of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, that it was tied to the blades that you had equipped. There are now more types of monsters. It used to be, I hope I'm not remembering how Xenoblade 1 and 2 worked. It used to be that there were normal monsters and the unique monsters. Now there are also elite and lucky monsters. So just some different variety. I guess lucky monsters are like normal monsters that give you extra materials and elite monsters are more like mini bosses. Uh, and I forget if this was announced alongside when we first learned that the party went up to six characters at once, but they also got some details and some character bios here, including some that act as heroes, which can fight alongside you as like a seventh member of your party. I forget yeah. if I forget if that was detailed at the time when we learned that the party was six. But that there's like a seventh, which is like kind of like a guest character slot, I suppose. I'm like, yep. Jesus, how is this? Is my switch going to catch fire if I have six characters? And the seventh character, one of the ones they announced is the Nopon pair, Riku and Manana, which seem very much like Nopon names, who join you as a seventh party member. I don't know if they fight together as like a duo character. I'm just imagining like so much stuff going on on the I'm, Switch. Well, go ahead. They do. If you look they at do. some uh, screenshots and uh, footage, you'll actually see that their character slot is like specifically both of them. Nice. So eight combatants on field at once, if those are slotted as your seventh slot. We got some new bios of, of some of the uh, announced characters, uh, such as Ethel, who had a prominent role in the previous trailer that was released in April, and a few others. So I don't know. So cool basically... Stuff. So basically, ever since the April trailer with the new release date and whatnot, you know, the the official Xenoblade Chronicles Japanese Twitter, as well as basically all the Nintendo Twitters, have just kind of slowly been tweeting out, like, here's a new location, here's a character, and so on. And so this blog post that that just went up, kind of con- it was like a compi- compilation of all that. Um, so I just like, all right, let me just post this up, you know. So you, it might be stuff you've seen like on Twitter a week or two ago, but that's just kind of how they're doing the marketing is these little piecemeal Twitter, you know, posts, and then like let's just put it in a blog post all at once. So and I think I doing. think I saw Nintendo America just literally tweet within a few a day or so that you can like change who you're running on the field as, which isn't new, but that's sort of like the micro marketing that they're doing. Like here's a little 10 second video. Yeah, that was actually in like the, that was actually in the most recent or the previous blog post. They they described the. Uh, the character switching on the field. So they're just tweeting it out again, you know, because why not? That's just, yeah, you know, that's probably effective marketing is just to like break up any little news piece you can and just tweet about it with a new little footage or screenshot. Why not? Yeah, 10 to 15 seconds. That's kind of all you need. They they detail some of the environments. Go ahead, Josh. It was funny that like a, a lot of people freaked out about field skills coming back to this because field skills were pretty infamous in uh, Xenoblade 2. Because it's funny. I, go for it. It's funny because before they announced it on the Western side, I was looking at the um, Japanese Nintendo site and I was like, oh, field skills are back. That's weird. Then I look closer and it's like, oh, they're basically just you learn them through the course of the game and perhaps through side quests. And once you've learned them, you're good to go. You don't have to swap in and out like 
different blades in order to go to specific areas of the map. Yeah, so so for like that, just to give an instance, like the like Xenoblade Two, how it handled field skills is like say there's like there's like this big rock that you can smash, but uh, like in that game, you know, you have the blade system, so uh, every blade had like a specific like field skills attached to them with a level that you can like gradually level up and strengthen. So like say if you needed like a level five uh, rock smash buff field skill, you needed to slot in like uh, the appropriate blades that had like the passive skill of of uh, passive field skill of um, rock smash and uh, their their uh, total levels needed to like uh, equate or go over that you know that barrier. It was like, like classic Pokemon HMs, but worse. Yeah, it was it, it, it was pretty uh it got in the way uh if you want to do a lot of side content in that game. There was like maybe one or two sections in the main story where like field skills were mandatory to progress. But it was still kind of a nuisance, so like I a lot of people like you know, and that was like one of my issues with the original review of Xenoblade 2, I recall. But um yeah, the at least the how field skills manifest in Xenoblade 3 seems like it's a lot more streamlined and makes sense for sane people. Couple other updates on games that have already been announced. Uh, from this one is from a update in Weekly Famitsu Magazine, and that is for the Trail series. And we got also an update from the Western publisher Nisa for the upcoming release of Trails from Zero. So the first one I might hand this off to James for because he helped with the translation on this. And this is about Trails in the Sky, Kurno Kaseki, and other titles from the series potentially making their way to Nintendo Switch in the future. So I know there was a little bit of specific discussion about what what the exact context of this interview in Famitsu was. So and to risk not misinterpreting it, I'm going to hand it off to to James to say, because he, he and Adam kind of put this feature together about what was stated in the magazine. Uh, what is Falcom kind of, what is their aspiration for the Nintendo Switch and their catalog of titles from the Kiseki series? Uh, basically, and Falcom fans that have uh, looked into this, the company's history are more than well aware of this. What we're seeing is the inevitable conclusion of uh, Falcom once again being incredibly, incredibly late to switching their primary development platform. Because um, from what I'm gathering from what Kondo says is that they want to support the Switch as much as possible and the only thing that he's kind of holding back on is sa- is basically saying we want to even support it going forward with our most recent titles, including like Corona Kiseki. Uh, we need to determine how feasible it is from a technical standpoint, which maybe that will prevent them from supporting it like going forward until maybe the Switch 2, whenever that happens. But um, He's very explicit about wanting the rest of the Trail series that isn't currently available on the platform, at least in Japan, ported over, which would imply Trails in the Sky. He has said that they are actively working on getting Kurono Kiseki working on the platform, so on and so forth. And we also discussed in a previous episode of the podcast, and uh, this will kind of tie into a related story from this week, the upcoming Western release of Trails from Zero. Uh, The porting from that is being handled by Peter Toman Durante's team at PH3, who is working on a the Switch port as well as their first Switch project alongside the PC release. So they've obviously been in partnership uh, with Nisa for Western releases from the series and the East series for a number of years now. So we know on that front, that they're getting kind of some support from 
PH3 for Switch releases going forward. So it'll be interesting to see like if that can kind of synthesize into a more cohesive, if we're going to stay on this yearly delayed trajectory for these releases, because by the time we get to Kronos Koseki, it'll be, what, 2024 or later? I hope I gave myself enough years there. And we don't oh, know even where this... Yeah, we don't know where the Switch will be at that point, and if we'll see a Switch 2 or a Switch Pro, um, and what that'll look like. Yeah, it is It is weird how it's, like, kind of manifest, because, like, you almost see, like, the dots connecting almost, but it's, like, it, but the, it doesn't, you, like, you, you connect the dots, but it doesn't, like, really make a co- cohesive picture. Like, like it's, like, you had, like, this weird uh, arrangement also with uh, uh, Nayuta's uh, Steam release that all, that came, like, it's only available in Japanese on Steam, but that was also worked by Durante's team to port yeah. it to PC. But and like and the English uh, language support will come like in a patch for that game down the road when Nisa's ready. Um, so and that that's like a really really weird arrangement. <laughs> like like all right, well I guess. Yeah, and I mean it's that oh, that same arrangement for um, which led to my assuming like a few weeks ago, which it's a fair enough assumption. That because um, Clouded Leopard's uh, Crow PC release is only Chinese and Korean instead of having Japanese, it might be a similar situation when uh, Crow gets announced, where it's like, oh, Durante's working on a PC port that comes with Japanese. Do you think? Do you think what what they'll what they'll do is like similar with the YouTube? Well, they'll get, they'll release Kuro on uh, Steam first in Japanese, and then the the English uh, uh, translation for that will just come down like years down the road. Be up. A patch yes, like okay. I think yes, and I think that's a good idea because people are going to use patches regardless to play that game in English mm-hmm. on PC. Mm-hmm. You might as well have a version of that game in Japanese that people can just patch themselves, so you're still getting money for it. Yeah, you're still getting money for it. That is that is a really interesting arrangement. And the last kind of a attached piece of news here is that uh, NIS America did release a character trailer for the English release of Trails from Zero, talking about the the four main characters of the special support section in Trails from Zero. And if you listen to this podcast about a year ago, I played the fan translation of these two games before the official announced uh, NIS project, basically saying that one of the, without any spoilers, I do think one of the greatest strengths from Trails from Zero is its condensed cast, especially before it balloons in later parts of this overarching series into a very unmanageable cast. So the, it's a character trailer, you know, it's not anything too exciting on its own, but I do think that these characters are well realized and it's really cool that Trails from Zero has a, a high level of focus on this main core four. So give that a look. We also have that up on the site as well. And again, that is releasing here in the West in uh, late September. Uh, fun facts about that trailer. Um, obviously, it's only a small trailer with a small bit of the uh, text and whatnot. Uh but so far, people haven't noticed any changes from the uh, Geofront release. No, oh, I didn't know that. That's, That's kind of great. fun. Here is something that we might have to just touch the surface of because we don't have Chow here this week. But we have a new release date for the uh, initially postponed launch of Genshin Impact 2.7. And this is, uh, to be honest, I don't know if I should really go into detail this because this would be basically me reading the press release not really knowing exactly what this contains. It has a new Hydro Archer character named Yellen. I hope I have that right. 
other than Dylan or Jalan, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I think about it. The thing is, is that I could read this press release to you, but it literally is just like proper nouns and gobbledygook to me. Maybe we'll kind of retouch on this uh, once Chow is back. I do know that this was this was originally supposed to release earlier in the month, and they had to delay it due to some COVID concerns. And they released, they gave the player base some kind of a. Uh, like yeah, like in early May they announced like the, the they're postponing the this version two point seven update because of the China China lockdowns surrounding COVID, which affected the workflow of uh, MiHoYo because they're based out of uh, China. So the you know to compensate, uh, your, that's their uh, global <laughs> brand, not, not their Chinese brand. Um, the so they said okay, since this uh, update is delayed, we're gonna uh, compensate. Uh, Compensation, yeah. So, like every week, that update two point seven, starting like at the beginning of May, uh, didn't come out. They would receive like you know a certain amount of primo gems, materials, experience tomes, uh, and so forth. So, like it's kind of just like you know their their way of a goodwill gesture to the fan base saying, uh, "Sorry, please wait for this because you know the development on this has been difficult due to real life circumstances." Uh, on that. So you know we have a date. It's coming May May thirty one, and as you said, like it, it uh, is bringing like all uh, you know the characters that they previously announced. See Yelan, and they also have a Kuki Shinobu, which is a four star Electro Swordsman. And I, from what I understand, she uh, the new four star is uh, pretty desired by the fan base because she'll be the first like Electro healer uh, for the game. From what I understand, so a lot of people are looking forward to that uh, and uh, introducing that dy- dynamic in their par- party comps. Um, and then they are under uh, uh, like adding a new Archon story quest, you know, to like this Chas- Chasm area, and then like a new season of the rhythm game that people have been uh, playing for, for several events. So you know, it's it's your typical uh, Genshin content update from what I understand. It's just you know, the people who are into it are always starved for content because they always go go through the content as fast as possible, and then mm-hmm. are, are back in the vicious cycle of waiting more. Uh, on that so maybe we'll get chow on next week uh, i forget if i said uh, this is releasing on may 31st same day as the saga stream um so we'll either get chow on next week to talk about his thoughts of the expansion ahead of it or we'll get him on the week after to talk about his experience once he's assuming i'm assuming he's going to play it when it releases i don't know for certain he's a type sure. where he always talks about how uh how little or meager it is but also but it's always seems to play it on day one but maybe he'll surprise us <laughs> i don't know about that and uh, another trailer for an upcoming game is, uh, as expected, we got another character trailer for the next house, the next empire in the upcoming Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes spinoff. Last week or the week before, we got the um, house Fargus. Go ahead. Yeah, you said the, the Blue Lions one last week. Yeah, I keep wanting to say Blue Lions, Black Eagles, but I guess they're um, they're naming these trailers the kingdoms that they represent. So the Blue Lions, House Fargus was last week. This week is the Black Eagles, Adrestian Empire. So I'm assuming at this point next week, we'll talk about the Golden Deer, which getting the name of that country. I don't remember that. I don't remember. I remember them by the, by the color and the animal. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but this one, this has, uh, you know, obviously Edelgards there, uh, Hubert, Ferdinand, Bernadetta, Casper, Lindart, Petra, and Dorothea. Uh, the Leicester Alliance. All right. There you go. go. <laughs> and then they show, they show off, you know, their character designs for Three Hopes. Bernadetta's haircut is still a nightmare. God bless. <laughs> and yeah, and, and everyone looks good. You know, pa- pa- Petra's looking great. Uh, Dorothea's really funny because she's, like, she's kind of barely changed from her time skip character design <laughs> to me. <laughs> Um, when you do look at a side by side, but no, 
that's your it's your typical character trailer just showing off hey here are the playable characters for this um middle guard side so obviously i haven't i've the only news that i've played is a very small bit of hyrule warriors 2 uh I'm blanking on that name as well. Age of Calamity. Age of Calamity. Yep. <laughs> yep, I got it. But uh, I is this kind of so each house has like eight characters and there's we're probably going to get obviously a third house and probably a, a fourth house with the monastery crew. So this game looks like it's going to be on track to have ballpark 30 characters. Is that typical for a Muso game or is that that seems like a lot to me, but I also don't play a ton That's of these. The, I mean, like for like older Dynasty Warriors characters, you had like 50 like ish characters and ah, okay so, so it's not out of the like, it's not out of the normal okay yeah it's, uh, yeah not having a, having a large cast for muso games is more of uh the standard and having fewer is more of the wow that sucks <laughs> <laughs> but i mean but, but i mean like, but but you, but you can like you can offset in various ways like how like the persona 5 strikers only had like the core crew but at least they like had like were very different moveset wise so like this having more characters in it like doesn't really um if anything, it'll only reinforce concerns that they might have like clone move sets, because that's how that's how they you know they they can't make thirty plus unique move sets. Uh, in and I'll be honest, I did not like try to overlay these to see if any of the characters in the first two houses look like they played similarly. I'm sure others. Yeah, have. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure people have done their analysis and maybe 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 they do have unique move sets. I don't know, but well, we will follow up next week with the uh, Golden Deer, almost certainly. Yeah, I, I think I think people are are, are most uh, curious if they are going to have like the monastery crew, like the, that was part of like the the DLC for. Uh, oh, when I said monastery crew, I meant more like the the knights. But yeah, the, oh, them okay. as well the uh, the underground gremlin dudes. Yeah, <laughs> God, I forgot their name. Their name escapes me too. But yeah, apparently we all just have bad memories. I can't remember. Like I know all their characters. Like I can picture them all in my head, but I'm just forgetting all these names. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think you'll have the teachers playable, but the, it remains to be seen if like the underground gremlins—that's what they're gonna, we're going to call them—if um, they're going to be play, playable. Cindered Shadows. Well, that was the name there of the. Uh, that was the name of the. Uh, of the little DLC, I forget if they actually had that name in game as well. And of course, people are really interested in seeing the uh, the interim artwork as well. And the last uh, kind of update for an upcoming game is we got. Uh, new trailers for the Switch exclusive coming out in July. Live Alive remasters yes. in the HD 2D style. Back in April, we talked about uh, two little short trailers for two of the time periods, uh, Prehistory and Imperial China. Now we've got some trailers for the Wild West and the Middle Ages and the Near Future. And I had to kind of remind myself, I was watching these trailers and I'm like, wow, I didn't realize they went into like Eurobeat funk music like into these trailers, but like, oh, they do it for all of them, including the ones from April. I really like that. I guess it's like the theme of the game. I don't know. It's really that's like Romania. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah, it's really yeah, I, it's that, it's it's upbeat and exciting, and I like it. Yeah, they showed a few more gameplay clips of this like running like uh, at the live stream, the live 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 stream, they, the Japanese mm-hmm. live stream they did a few days back, and like it, it's shaping up, looks good. Like it's 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 uh, it's definitely still lot like live alive, like as you remember it uh, if, if if people played it. Nope. But like prettier, which is good. Like I, I like that. I remember when this game was first shown. I, I I think I remember stating that something about the art style just looks cleaner and not quite as smeary as their attempts with uh, Triangle Strategy and Octopath Traveler. It looks it looks more like a cleaner uh, iteration of the HD two D engine art style. Yes, I know it's Unreal Engine, but it looks really nice. I think. Of course, I don't really have a precedent for how the original game looked. But yeah, I didn't play I mean, it. But... I mean, I mean, I mean, even at the time, the original game was like was pretty lacking graphically. So, 
you know, it's a, it, there's a big, big uh, re- overhaul of just like everything you know about Live Alive, <laughs> like yeah. visuals. It's like, wow, this is really leading the way now. And in addition to the trailer for the Wild West time period, the Middle Ages and the near future, they also had a besi- behind the scenes video about the theme of the game being sung by Hironobu Kageyama, who I didn't not, realize not this. There's not the theme mm. of the game. Um, the, 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 it's, it's pertaining to one of the arcs, the near future arc. Has oh, an specifically that arc. Yeah, it's a, it has an exclusive theme song called Go Go Buruki Dayo. It's like, it's like you know, like, like a 90s, 80s, 90s mecha, uh, you know, like spirit. Like, you know, it's uh, like when, when giant robot shows had like that very upbeat uh, theme song, opening theme songs uh, to them. So that that's the like the near future arc is kind of like almost like a a big homage to that era of giant robot uh, anime shows. So like the the big robot that the uh, the character in it can manipulate via his like psychokinetic powers. Like the the Japanese for it is Borikidayo, which in uh, in English they've uh, localized as Steel Titan because that's what Borikidayo uh, means. Uh, so the yeah, like you you were getting at like the one who. Is uh, voicing this or uh, singing this theme song now is uh, none other than uh, Hironobu Kageyama, and a lot of people will recognize him as what well, p- part of the the Jam Project uh, band, who's done a lot of Super Robot War shows and in general, very very famous um, band in Japan, and also a lot of people recognize him as the vocalist of uh, Shala Head Shala, which was the opening theme song to Dragon Ball Z. And, and it's crazy that he must have recorded that. Like, I'm a basic bitch, so that's the where mm-hmm. I recognize him from. Like, yeah, oh, it's the Dragon Ball Z opening, which yeah. he must have recorded like 30 years ago at this point. And he's like, he sounds the same. Does this dude <laughs> age? <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's a legend. And the uh, there's a note here on the article that, according to the live stream, that he will also be singing that song in English for the English release of the game, which yeah, is always an interesting very... take. Uh, we'll see how that turns out, but kind of cool that he's able to do that yeah, as well. Yeah. But. He's definitely sung in English before. Like, uh, you know, it's uh, well known and, that he can sing English. And the behind-the-scenes video is uh, really quite cool. So we have that attached to the article as well, alongside the uh, individual trailers for the different time periods. They're, 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 I'm really surprised that they're going so all out for this live like <laughs> remake. Like, like when, they, when I first heard that, I'm like, oh my god, that's mm-hmm. that's a lot of effort you guys are pulling. And uh, and to, to to fans like who played live alive, this is like this comes full circle because. When Live Alive first came out, and like the near future period, it's like, oh, like this is the, this is a really cool homage, and like, and a, a lot of like fans have like kind of done like a sort of like a a, a gen project take on like theme song in the past because like it, it, they seem like a perfect fit, and like, now we come full circle and like we are, we're officially getting jam project talent into that uh, part of the game, which is a really cool like coming full circle moment. Uh, very very chef's kiss on that. The last two bits of news here of the week are just uh, one new release date and one sales update. So in the middle of last year, we had the Caligula Effect 2 released for PlayStation 4 and Switch. Uh, today we learned, or not today, this week we're reporting that the Caligula Effect 2 will launch for PC on June 23rd. Did anyone play this game in a release last year on console? I feel like it kind of passed us by. No, no like I, I want to play the first Caligula Effect before I get to two people, even though people are saying you don't really have to, but I'm like... I want to, and then but I tried I to get to. the overdose. Yeah, I tried to get to the overdose remake, and like it just didn't really yeah. get my attention, to be honest. But you so know, that for will... people who are waiting for like the PC release, that's we knew it was coming eventually. So, well, nice. what's sort of interesting about this announcement is that so this game was developed by Historia, 
um, which to be honest, I don't know what else Historia has done. They did not do uh, the original Caligula effect. They did do the overdose editions, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was localized by NAS America. And I think it was published by Furyu in Japan. But anyways, yeah, the interesting thing here is that it's Historia self-publishing the PC version. It still has the English like localization, but it's like Historia, not NAS America. It's Historia actually putting it on Steam. So that's, you know, kind of, yeah, kind of interesting. Yeah. I wonder. I think it kind of reminds me. It's a, obviously it's not a one-to-one comparison, but it reminds me of how Utawari Romono had like had a different publisher for the PC releases versus its console release. So I don't know. That's that is a weird uh, one. Like I really wonder how the PC port's going to shape up. Like I, I have to imagine because Historia is handling this that like they're they're either working on it in house or they're like they they're handed it off to an external like or outsourcing the development, but we just don't know who the outsourced developer is so huh i, I wonder what like what the, what the trademarks look like now on that pc port and the last news bit here is i update on a sales milestone for the final fantasy series final fantasy 15 confirmed by the game's japanese and english twitter accounts has hit the 10 million copies sold milestone for that game worldwide and this is the milestone that uh, it's hard to get for sure due to the number of re-releases, but it's a milestone that has been previously hit by Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy VII, and Final Fantasy XIV. So not not a milestone that every Final Fantasy game hits. Final Fantasy XV obviously had its original console release followed by its Windows edition, and then I guess supposedly its, its Stadia release as well. I don't know if that's factored in. So one of the best-selling Final Fantasy games, Final Fantasy XV, maybe a little bit surprising on its face to state it like that. Yeah, definitely it's... That, I that feel is, like that is pretty cool. Like you know, for I that feel game. like Final Fantasy fifteen surprisingly was able to break away from just like the Final Fantasy fandom and like reach a broader audience to a you know a notable extent. People who've never played Final Fantasy just played it. Um, you know, I feel well, like I, its reception. I think liked it too. Like uh, to, yeah. to be fair, yeah, like, I, that that surprised me. Like people who who never. It, like they never either really played F, uh, Final Fantasy game or never really played a, a RPG in general. Like uh, somehow, like gave this game a shot, and like I fe- from what I understand, most of them like came away pretty positive. And it's like, yeah, I enjoyed what I played of it, whether they completed it or not. It's like they seem to have a positive experience with the game, and it, it is it is sort of cool because it's like it's a premise that you don't really see much in like standard JRPGs of just like, hey, it's just four dudes traveling around the world in a car. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it just you know. I, like sure, and uh, sure it wasn't like the 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 best received Final Fantasy game to like series fans. Um, but I wonder, I, I wonder like if FF sixteen can like find a similar like uh, stepping stone of like being able to like cater to like beyond just Final Fantasy fans and reach a broader audience because because that's that... sorry I was gonna say that that's something that Final Fantasy seven remake. I won't say it hasn't been able to do it, but not as successfully as Final Fantasy fifteen was. Yeah, I agree. It'll be very, it'll be very interesting to see how well Seven Two sells, like Remake Part Two. Yeah, because um, sequels almost never sell more than the original for obvious reasons. Um, and like, so the original game sold five million, so it's not, you know, that's great. It's absolutely great. But like, will it reach the ten million? Probably not. <laughs> and we'll see. I mean, like we're, we're comparing to like something that came out in 2016. So yeah, but like if it, it's six years, it, like you know, it'll probably get like a. There'll probably be another re-release eventually. Well, I was, I was going to bring that up. Like one thing that's been surprising about 
that this era of Final Fantasy, basically, uh, 14's kind of its own thing, obviously a very successful own thing, but 13 and 15, like, I feel like both those games are ripe for a current-gen, like, packaging that bundles everything together and kind of gives it, like, the the 60 FPS, potentially 4K support, you know, put everything in parity. Like, Final Fantasy 13, as far as I'm aware, still doesn't have a digital console nope. version. Nope. And, like, the best way to play Final Fantasy 13 is on xbox series through backwards compatibility or or heavily yeah. modded on pc maybe um yeah. so it's just interesting that these seems like kind of missed opportunities to get these games uh re-released onto ps5 and xbox series and maybe touched up on pc potentially uh i also, we, also think about it also think about that ff7 remake uh hasn't hit steam yet so when it hits steam supposedly hasn't even hit xbox yet either yeah you know, mm-hmm. I, I think I think I think it can reach the 10 million mile, milestone uh, through its lifespan for sure. But but I but I definitely agree with uh, Brian's sentiment that it feels like 15 is the one that was able to cater to beyond like two mainstream audiences that weren't into FF before. Um, and I don't think we make has. By the way, this is obviously not official at all, but back in 2018, RPG site held kind of a poll, just a very simple poll, your favorite Final Fantasy game, we kind of ranked them. At the time, a few years after, a couple of years after its release, Final Fantasy 15 rated fifth behind 10, 6, 9, and topping the list was 7. Not, Alex has expressed interest and has stated in the uh, news post detailing this 10 million milestone for Final Fantasy 15 that RPG site does plan to kind of re-hold that poll again to see how things have shifted. So once we have concrete details on uh, if and when that's happening, we'll obviously let you know and kind of give that shout out here. It's always kind of cool to see like whether how to what extent recency bias maybe pushed Final Fantasy 15 in the top five or hey maybe it deserves to be there maybe a few few years along the line uh it'll still be in the top you know echelon of games according to fan reception at least for our readers so nothing in place yet in terms of scheduling that but something that Alex has expressed interest in publicly so just giving that a shout out here and that uh that covers us for news for the week so kind of a surprisingly busy week with lots of media updates for announced games some newly announced games that we weren't expecting and then of course a lot of teases both in the terms of deliberate teases of streaming events and then po- pulling what we can from trademark details for stuff that's upcoming in june to hopefully look forward to again we've got the features up on the site about the playstation plus uh new tiered program as well as the reviews from a couple of weeks ago that i listed out earlier in the podcast we also have all the news for all the release dates and all the new trailers and uh, website updates from the site up on the site from the deaf and japanese websites up on the site i just want to give out a shout out to josh torres who's been really kind of going into a lot of detail on a lot of these news updates and adam as well you two have been basically holding the fort down and making sure that we uh can't stay on top of those and get all the details in place in a timely manner and then, of course, also to uh, James for being able to do some uh, translation work on the Kondo interview from Famitsu. You guys are basically rocking it. Hey, man. And I also got to give a shout out to Kite as well. Kite is our, our also our resident like translator for a lot of our Japanese news posts. And as always, he kills it. He's uh, just amazing all around. He does. He's like a silent warrior in the background that uh, kind of gets a lot of these. Like he did a lot of the translation for the uh, Fairy Fencer F website update as well as was translating Nomura's details about the upcoming Final Fantasy news for the 25th anniversary of Final Fantasy VII. So yes, Kite as well is also rocking it. You can find RPG Site on all the social media platforms. Just search for RPG Site on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or Instagram. You can join our Discord at discord.gg slash RPG Site or hit the link at the top of our homepage. And we will be back next week to discuss 
at the very minimum, Genshin Impact 2.7, I suppose, if Chow is here. And also uh, anything else that comes out uh, during the week from some any of these teases, if we see any of them squeeze in before the end of May. Until next time, stay safe and take care. And we'll talk to you then. Go, go, Puruki, Dayo!